shall we ponder together the inclusive nature of God? For example, in the beginning, there was nothing. Nothing at all. Just a soupy, black, nothing. And God could have left it like that. But he chose to include light. And he could have just chosen to leave it like that. Light and dark. But he chose to include a sky and water and land. And now that he had these great outlines in place, he could have just chosen to leave them like that. But he wanted to colour them in. So he included vegetation. And not just one type of tree, oh no, no. Not just one type of bush, not just one type of flower, no. A whole variety. Even plants and things that live under the sea. Now he could have just left it all like that. But where would the fun be in that, right? So he chose to include living creatures. He filled our oceans with all sorts of incredible living things. He filled our skies with every color and size of winged creature. And he filled our land with everything from the dung beetle to the elephant. Now, some of these things have a very obvious part to play in the ongoing and sustaining workings of the earth. For example, the cow. I'm certain that many of you are very grateful that God included the cow in the ongoing workings of the earth. He makes barbecues much more interesting. <laughs> Did I hear amen? <laughs> we get milk, cheese, cream, chocolate, ice cream, <laughs> ripper. But if we were to compare the cow, say, to the sloth, now I'm not quite certain what the sloth's purpose is in the ongoing sustaining workings of the earth, but I know that he must have one. And I know this because, well, because you see, he's endangered. And, and if he didn't have any kind of value to us and any purpose, we wouldn't care. What does it matter if we lose the sloth? But there are people in our world today who are committed to fighting for the survival of the, of the sloth. So this kind of tells me then that the sloth must have a purpose and a value. Even though it might be hidden from me, he is important to the ongoing sustaining workings of the earth. We would not be whole without him, and so we fight for him, even though he's a sloth. 
And so the great workings of, of creation climaxes with the inclusiveness of humanity. Yeah, well, yes, you see, I've already been included in the working of God. And I know this is true because, well, be, well because I'm here. One day when God was sitting back in his studio contemplating the workings of the earth, how he was going to make it all be, up out of the depths of his imagination, boop, was me. And he thought, hmm. And he pondered me and he thought me and he knew me and he drew me and he wrote me. And he could have snuffed me right then could have torn me out of the book and said, no, 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 actually, I think she may just be way too difficult to include. I think she may just take way too much resource. I don't, I don't think, well, I think we'll leave her out. But he didn't. He chose to include me. And I know this is true because, well, I'm here. And now, really, my journey my life journey is really just one big question. Will I choose to include him in my world? And so this takes us to our story for today. Our story today can be found in the book of Luke, in chapter 5, reading from verses 27 through to 39. And we've got a reader to help me out this morning. Thank you very much. We're reading from the Message Bible this morning, except for the last verse, verse 39, will be read in the New King James, just simply because I liked the words better. Thanks, Steve. After this, Jesus went out and saw a man named Levi at his work collecting taxes. Jesus said, come along with me. And he did, walked away from everything and went with him. Levi gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus. Everybody was there, taxmen and other disreputable characters, as guests at the dinner. The Pharisees and their religion scholars came to his disciples greatly offended. What is he doing eating and drinking with crooks and sinners? Jesus heard about it and spoke up. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. They asked him, John's disciples are well known for keeping fasts and saying prayers, also the Pharisees, but you seem to spend most of your time at parties. Why? Jesus said, when you're celebrating a wedding, you don't skimp on the cake and wine, you feast. Later, you may need to pull in your belt, but this isn't the time. As long as the bride and groom are with you, you have a good time. When the groom is gone, the fasting can begin. No one throws cold water on a friendly bonfire. This is kingdom come. No one cuts up a fine silk scarf to patch old work clothes. You want fabrics that match. And you don't put wine in old cracked bottles. You get strong, clean bottles your fresh vintage wine and no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new for he says the old is better 
Thank you so much. So our story today deals with a man called Levi. And he was a tax collector. And he wasn't popular. Tax collectors were not the popular people. They were not who um, everybody wanted to hang out with. They were tax collectors. Levi's probably been left out of a lot of things in his life because he's a tax collector. But Jesus has included him. Jesus has let him come to, into his group of friends. And Levi is super stoked about this. He's been left out so many times. And Jesus is kind of gathering some popularity. He's kind of gathering some interest. He's doing some pretty amazing things. And Levi gets to be a part of that. And he's really happy. And he's so happy, he throws a party. Now, Levi isn't popular, and he doesn't have kind of the cool kids to invite to his party, because nobody wants to hang out with him. So he's got other tax collectors and crooks and sinners and disreputable people to invite to his party, but it doesn't matter. Because everybody's there, and we're all having a good time. We're all playing pin the tail on the donkey, and we're stuffing our faces with cake. It's great. Until, of course, the Pharisees show up. Trust religion to poop the party. <laughs> Serious. Here we go. Pharisees come in and they're offended. Jesus had been becoming popular. He knew the law. He was doing some pretty cool things. I think they wanted him to hang out with them. And Jesus had made it pretty clear he didn't want to. He'd rather hang out with the tax collectors, thank you very much. So they come in offended. Doesn't your master know? Doesn't your teacher know how to make good friends? Doesn't he realize who he's hanging out with? Does he not realize these are tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus kind of answers them. Yeah, actually, I do realize that. And that's the sort of people I'm here for. I'm here for people who need help. People like me. People like me. People who are able to say, I need a savior. I need him in my world, I need him in my life, I need him every day. I can't do my life without him. I cannot make the decisions I need to make, I cannot be a good mum, I cannot be a good person without him. And I will not be whole and healed until I go home to be with him. <coughs> Jesus came for me. Well, the Pharisees didn't like that answer very much, so they try again. John was very good at fasting, and we're very good at fasting, but you're not playing the game right, Jesus. You seem to know your law, but you're not really doing it properly. You're at parties all the time. What's with that? And then Jesus kind of does this thing, this comparison thing, this kind of weddings, you don't skimp on the wine, bonfires, you don't throw water on it, old wineskins, new wineskins, kind of does this thing, and why is he doing that? And what really is the Pharisee's problem? Well, to answer that question, we kind of have to travel back approximately 1,400 years. You ready? We're all about to get a lot younger. <laughs> so young. Here goes my gray hair. Remember this? Some of you might do. Some of you have got absolutely no idea why the crazy girl up the front's holding dirt, but that's okay. 
About 1,400 years earlier, approximately, the children of Israel were slaves. They had been enslaved by Egypt. And we had this conversation about a year ago about what that looked like, the children of Israel being enslaved. They were treated like dirt. They worked in the dirt. Many of them died in the dirt. And when you're treated like a slave, a part of your humanity, a part of who you are, gets broken because you kind of go into this survival mechanism, the way of, of being, this kind of, you know, you're just looking after yourself. You've got to. You could be beaten at any moment. You're living in fear all the time. Well, the children of Israel had kind of been living this way for a long time. They'd been enslaved. And Jesus, God, had come and done an amazing work, and he'd rescued them from this. Remember? Ten plagues, parting of the Red Sea, all of that. He rescued them, and he took them to Mount Sinai, and he gave them the law. And now some part of the law, excuse me, a part of the law was written, if you remember, by God's finger on rock. Now, I'm sorry, Jesus, with your parties and you're not fasting, but God wrote the law with his finger in a rock. I'm just trying to uphold the word of God over here. The word of God that he wrote in a rock with his finger. The Pharisees were just trying to uphold the word of God. The trouble was, you see, 14, about 1,400 years had passed. Now, have you ever played a game of Monopoly with another family? Ever had that experience? You, you kind of start out playing this game, and all of a sudden you realise they're all playing with different rules. And there's this awkward, heated discussion about whose rules we're going to play by. And trust me, it doesn't often end well. And now I don't want to play. I don't want to play because your interpretation of the rules aren't my interpretation of the rules, and your interpretation excludes me. And I, I can't match your interpretation of the rules, so I don't want to play. And this is what had happened to the law. It had become a really bad game of Monopoly. Everybody had, had interpreted the rules in their own way. They'd even written their own to add to it, make it more interesting. And if you follow the, the journey of the law, they didn't even have it all of the time. Sometimes they lost it. And then they refound it. Oh, we found the law. Quick, read it. What does it say? <sighs> We're doing everything wrong. Um, <laughs> And the law was massive. It's something like 1,600 and 613 rules. I'm going to try and remember all of that. And they didn't have photocopies. They only had one book. So it's, it's become a mess. It's not sustainable. Nobody can live by it anymore, and it's just excluding everybody. But in Romans 8, the Word of God describes the law as being a Band-Aid. There was a wound that existed between us and God, a wound in our relationship that had been broken. And the law was a way of covering that wound, protecting that wound. But we're not meant to live our lives with Band-Aids on. Eventually the Band-Aid has to come off. 
and the wound needs to be healed properly. But, you know, Band-Aids aren't always easy to get off. <laughs> Ever experienced that? Sometimes they really sting. Sometimes they need a good soak in a soapy bath. You know, soak that sucker up. Sometimes, my mum always used to do the one, two, three. <laughs> Sometimes you pick at them, you know, slowly over time. Oh, that's enough for today. <laughs> the law needed to become new. It needed, we needed a new way of being in community with each other. We needed a new way of, of being in relationship with God. It was not sustainable anymore. The Band-Aid had to come off. But you see, the Pharisees didn't really want to take their Band-Aid off. They'd got used to living like that. They'd got used to doing it that way. They wanted to stay that way because it was comfortable. They'd been drinking that old wine for a long time and they'd got pretty good at it. But a new wine was coming, a new way of being in relationship with God was coming. And they needed to remove their Band-Aid and move on. Now, can you imagine with me what it would be like if Royce and I decided to do our marriage through rules and regulations? Let's say, for example, on the fridge was this lovely checklist. And, and every morning, that's not funny. I'm the one with the mic, shush. But say, for example, on the fridge, there's a checklist, right? And I get up in the morning, and the checklist says, cook Royce's eggs, make sure his shirt's nice and freshly ironed. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> make sure his pants are ready to go, okay? So I do all of those things, make sure they're all ready. Tick, 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 lovely. Then I leave, go off and have my life. Royce gets up. Everything's nicely laid out for him. His eggs are perfect. It's all good to go. His shirt's all crisply ironed. It's all lovely. He sits down, he eats. He gets up, he goes to work. I come back later on, checklist number two. Right, what does he need now? I need to clean up, and then I need to arrange his lunch, and then, and then, and So I do all of that. It's all perfect, all laid out, all nice. Yes, tick, 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 off I go. Royce comes in. There's it all. He just enjoys it all, and then off he goes to work. Can you imagine what's going to happen from my heart right about now? How resentful and bitter am I going to get after a time? I don't want to live my life with these demands. And what if I get sick? Or what if the girls have had me up during the night and I'm tired? And I can't, I can't fulfill all of this. And what about Royce? I mean, he might enjoy it for a few days, having crispy iron shirts and lovely poached eggs for breakfast. But he's got to eat them on his own. And when we got married, we, we wanted to be together. That was why we got married. But if we're going to do life together, then we need to leave some room for each other. We need to breathe. We need to be human. He needs to accept the fact that I'm human and I get sick and you're not going to get poached eggs. You're going to have to make yourself toast. And I don't iron shirts. I'm sorry. You want it ironed? Do it yourself. 
wants to be in relationship with us. And he would rather cope with a bit of ugly, a bit of inconsistent, a bit of disorganised. He would rather deal with that and get you than get all the boxes filled in perfectly and eat on his own. He wants you. The old wine was all rules and rituals. And the new is relationship. Personal, intimate, different. Because we're all different. Now that's not easy for us. It's not easy for us to always cope with. Because rules and rituals and checklists can make things feel really safe. Ah, but you know, eventually, we're going to have to do something about that because rules and rituals can't love you when you need a friend, when the world has gone crazy on you and you need dads to help you out. Checklists can't embrace you. So how do we move past that and how do we build relationship and fellowship with God? Well, the Word of God describes us as being like children. But we don't often behave very childlike, do we, really? Especially us, we've grown up. I'm a working professional. I'm an intelligent. I'm responsible put away my childish things. But the Word of God describes us as being His kids. Read Galatians 4. We are children. We have sonship. We're kids. His kids. Now, in Australia, to dance and to sing, we don't do easily. In fact, we like to have a few drinks before we have to do that sort of thing. And I'm not talking about tea or coffee. We feel very uncomfortable <laughs> with moving. I was at a Steve Bidoff meeting, and um, a couple of weeks ago, Steve Bidoff speaks on parenting, and he speaks on kids. And he was talking about how our young people, the thing they fear the most, the thing they're most frightened of is not war, terrorism, dying of cancer. No, it's their appearance, what they look like to you. That's the thing our young people fear the most. Now, when you're terrified of how you look and how people perceive, you kind of walk around like this all the time because I've got to look right. I've got to do everything right. I've got to be okay. Now, kids don't walk around like that. And kids don't really care what they look like. You see, we kind of need some help from King David 
King David, the Goliath and David, King David, from the Old Testament, he was a king. He was ruler of all Israel. He was an intelligent man. He was a warrior. He was no wimp. He was tough. But how did he behave when it came to his God? What did he do? He took off his crown and his robe and he got into something way more comfortable and he danced before God and he raised his hands and he sang and he was full of joy. Why? David had been nothing. He'd been a shepherd boy left out the sheep, forgotten by his family, just like Levi, and nothing and no one. But God had included them. God had included Levi. God had included David. And he had made David king. God wants you to be king. He wants you to be intelligent and professional and responsible. And you need to put on a suit when you go to work and look right. But every now and again, you need to take that king off and your robe, hang him up, and you need to be a kid and come and play pin the tail on the donkey and stuff your face with cake. You need to be free and full of joy. God has included you. He has a future for you. He believes in you. He wants to be with you. In whatever way that looks like, poached eggs or not. God doesn't care if he has to cook his own toast as long as he gets to be with you. So you come and you have a time with God and with Jesus and you're free, free to be a kid, his kid. And then when the party is over, as you're going out the door, what did King David do? He put his crown back on and his robe on and he went home king. And church, if we're going to grow in our relationship with God, we've got to spend some time every day taking that king off and being a kid. You know why? Do you know how children work things out? Do you know how they learn? They play. Now, when my girls want to play princess and there's no prince available to them, what do they do? They use their imagination. And sometimes when we're building our relationship with God, a God that at the moment we can't see, we need to play. 
and we need to use our imagination and we need to do something crazy. We need to go draw in our Bibles. Love all of this Bible journaling stuff right now. Go rip a couple of pages up and go make yourself a collage. Go do something crazy. Go take Jesus jogging with you in the morning. He can keep up. <laughs> Sit down with God and have a cup of tea. Be a kid. Put some Christian music on and just in the privacy of your own home, have a little. Get the vacuum cleaner out. And, and when we come here to him, we gather together as brothers and sisters together. As you come through those doors, take your crown off and your robe, leave them out there. Big piles of them as we all come through. Come in and be a kid. Doesn't matter what you look like. I'm just the kid too. And let us celebrate that we have been included by God. Let us celebrate that he wants us to be king and that's where he's taking and leading us. Let us celebrate all the wonders that he's given us and what he does for us. And then as you're leaving, make sure you grab your crown, not somebody else's, because that would be weird. And make sure you do pick your crown up. Don't let your kid go to work. It's not a good idea to let kids run businesses. All kinds of trouble there. But put your crown back on and your robe and go home as king. So may you today know with all certainty, don't let it be a doubt anymore in your mind, you have been included by God and you know that because you're here. May you choose daily to include him in your world. And may you take your crown off and be his child and learn to play. May he smile on you today. Thank you very much.